Good morning. I always love the time we have uh, passing the peace or welcoming one another. Whatever you do during that time, it's such a great thing that we get to gather together uh, as God's people. And uh, I'm so grateful for the leadership here, uh, for this opportunity that I have to share from God's Word today. I hope it's an encouraging time for us uh, to learn more about the identity that we have in Christ. And uh, many of you probably don't know me. I, I kind of start here and just, yeah. my name is Jamie uh, George, and uh, we live literally across the field here behind Grace Community Church. And I, but I grew up in Mississippi. Obviously, you probably heard from my southern drawl a little bit. And you'll hear it throughout that. I hope it doesn't throw you off. Uh, some people find it enduring. You know, it's a good thing. Good quality, I guess. Um, but my mom, she took me to church uh, from the moment I was born. I, was, I remember days crawling under pews and over pews, getting in trouble for it. All the different things. So kids, I understand. You know, sitting in seats can be hard. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't come to faith till later in life. Even though my mom did her best to try to help me understand the gospel and took me to a church that proclaimed the gospel, I, I just never came to faith during that season. But fortunately, I'm standing up here now, I am a person of faith. Uh, in 2004, God graciously opened my eyes to the gospel and I believed. And as the scriptures say, uh, something amazing happened. And then I went on a journey. The Lord took me to Bible College in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I met my wonderful wife, Joy, who lives out in Whitewater or grew up out in Whitewater. And then we went on to Denver Seminary where I studied for a season. And eventually the Lord led us to a church uh, that said, hey, we believe God's called you to serve as a pastor. And I was uh, ordained as a pastor uh, back in 2009, and from that moment on, I've been serving in vocational ministry as a pastor, associate, uh, and as a church planner over the years. I've uh, been involved in church planning ministries and mission work uh, in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, in the Denver metro area. But during the season, we're here, and you know, we just got here last August, but Grace holds a special place in my wife and Maya's heart. Some of you may know, but many of you don't know that my wife and I stood right here and said our vows uh, in 2007. Uh, but yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. And uh, man, I, I, man, I won the lottery on that one. She is an amazing woman of God who loves me and loves our kids. And we've been on many adventures. Man, she's followed the Lord and I all over the place uh, where he's been leading us. And we've lived in more places than I can even count now. I can't even remember how many homes we've lived in since we got married at this point in apartments. But he's also blessed us tremendously with three wonderful kids. And uh, I am so thankful for the way Grace invests in our children uh, my kids are ultimately enjoying being a part of Grace, and this has been a great season for them to get invested in and shown they, they're loved and they're cared for, and we're so grateful to be here with you. Uh, last week, Pastor Jack did a sermon, and you know he talked about the trials we face as followers of Jesus and then how God uses those trials in our life to grow us in our faith and help us grow uh, so that we can become more like Christ. Well, does anyone in here, you can't answer Jack, remember what he said was the most prominent thing, trial that we face in this world today? Oh, got a hand. Wow. I'm encouraged, Jack. 
both services, people answered, they remembered your sermon. That's, the, that's like a miracle. There we go. So I'm hoping God works a miracle here today. And he, you remember what I talk about up here, what the Lord's put on my heart to share with you. Because I've been, I spent a ton of time in prayer just seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you want to say to your people? This is, this is your, I'm your mouthpiece. That's all I get to do. So I studied, I prayed, and the Lord led me to some things to address. And, and one of the things that is going on in our society, the endless chatter we're hearing in regards to gender and marriage and sexuality, it's, it's, this, uh, it's meant to encourage people to question who they are. Who are you? It, it's so prevalent on our social media and news that if, if you watched it enough, that you would begin to believe and conclude that there's an identity crisis taking place in our world. And people are asking the question, who am I? Who am I? I've struggled with my identity over the years, especially before I became a follower of Jesus. I had tremendous amount of struggles with my identity. I never had the opportunity to meet my biological father and spend time with him. And I didn't realize how that had impacted me in my struggle with identity. I kept trying to find my identity in sports or other things. And it just kind of led to that season where I was just really broken, a broken person emotionally, and I didn't even realize it. Or maybe it was... Some of the things that I had experienced as a child, I went through some pretty horrific things. I, I, I sexually molested as a child, and it really led to a lot of brokenness about my sexuality. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't understand uh, things that may become so natural to some people because it just was an internal struggle within me because of these things. I had no control over how they were impacting me and my thoughts about myself and who I was. And the reality is, is that I, over the years, I would get my identity all wrapped up in things. When I was in the military, it was all about, my, that was my identity, serving my country or uh, my current relationships and things like that. And I, I struggled with those things. I was always kind of going through these moments when I get a new friend that had a different kind of knack for something. He loved something this tattoo is a result of that. I live with a bunch of guys who had tattoos, and ultimately, I wanted to identify with them, so I got a tattoo. There we go. That's how I ended up with that. That was a great moment. Uh, so, but we all do, right? We all have moments when we struggle with our identity. I just want to talk about a few, because some of you are in the middle of it. Some of you are going through puberty. That is a tough season in your life. Your body's changing. Your voice is cracking and all that stuff. It can be a really difficult season to walk through. And it can cause or lead to you struggling with your identity. Who am I? Maybe you just graduated and, and you're, you, you were a senior and people knew you and you're about to move into a new season. where you are going to be a freshman. You don't hardly know anybody at the school. It could lead to an identity crisis. Maybe you had a life-altering injury. Maybe you did something really bad to your knee or your leg, and you, you, you were like had your mindset, God made me to be an athlete. I'm going to be a professional athlete, and you're going to go after that. But your identity somehow got hooked to that. And when that happened, you just began to struggle with, who am I now? I can't do what I used to do. So I, or maybe it was a disease that caused that. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you got married, and that began to change your, cause you to have identity crisis. Maybe it was a divorce you went through. 
Maybe it was a job change or a move. I know I recently, over the last year, you know, went through a move and a job change. I'm currently doing the remodeling work. And, and, and that, could, that kind of led to a season, is this who God called me to be? Is this have something to do with my identity? Uh, but that happens when we go through life changes like that or maybe have a midlife crisis. Some of you may have retired or are currently becoming empty nesters. That's going to cause maybe a crisis in your identity. I'm no longer getting to be this every day. So you're going to be like, who am I? What? You might go through that struggle because I know the enemy wants to do this. I know that the enemy wants to use a season like this in our lives to distract us to pursue the temporary identities of this world. Because you're not always going to be that. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that we won't always be a parent. We won't always be this or that or be identified with our job. But this is the truth. You won't always be pursuing these temporary identities that we have on this earth. And Satan wants to use those moments to choke off your relationship with God and his people. He wants to use that time to, to make you doubt who you are. He wants you to struggle over your identity and pursue other identities, the identity, the very identity that God gives you in Christ. Have you ever heard another Christian say, uh, you know, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I know I'm guilty of that, and, and I've went as far as that. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm kind of like Paul. I'm, I'm identifying myself, chief of sinners. But I wonder how healthy that is. If, you're, if you really get real, how healthy is that for me to call myself a sinner? Because it seems like Scripture would say and indicate that I'm a saint. I'm a child. I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of God's people. That's my identity. That's who I am. Yes, do I sin? Ask my kids. Ask my wife. Ask anyone who knows me. Yes, I still sin. But I'm a saint who sometimes sins. I'm not a sinner. That's not my identity. We can be kind of get caught up in that sometimes and people struggle with identity and and there was a Pharisee struggling with his identity as a religious leader with the Jews and actually Jesus has a conversation a spiritual conversation with him and he, he begins to discuss this with Nicodemus uh, about spiritual stuff and identity and things like that but he says something to him that's interesting he says I tell you the truth unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of God like you can't even grasp the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, this was such a big thing that, that Jesus introduces that the apostles would eventually talk about it and flush it out more within the New Testament. For instance, uh, in 1 Peter 1.3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy we have been born again. And in 1 Peter 1.23, he goes on to say, For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Paul also wrote about this, but he said it a little differently. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The old life of struggling with my identity over my biological father issues and, and the things that happened to me, that came to an end is what it seems to be indicating in the scriptures. And a new life has begun. That God gives us, by his grace, a spiritual birth. And at that spiritual birth, you receive something that you didn't have before you get a new identity. 
That's the identity that God gives you. That I'm no longer, you're no longer a child of wrath. You're no longer under the power of Satan. You're, but you are someone else. But in order to discover who you are, you've got to go to God. Only, only God can help you understand your new identity. Let me share a little something that can help maybe uh, illustrate this analogy. Uh, when I joined the Air Force... They gave us an Air Force manual in basic training. And every moment that you were standing in line for chow or you were waiting to do something, your drill sergeant drove it home. You better be studying that Air Force manual because you're going to get tested on it at the end. It's going to help you understand why you're here, that you're no longer a citizen. You're a member of the military and now you're, your identity is not just civilian as a part of America. You're an airman. In the United States Air Force. So it, it shared the history of the military and how the Air Force was formed and all these things. I still remember parts of it, which is crazy. Uh, to think I still got those things in my head. But they, they did a really good job of trying to drive home, this is your new identity. This is who you are. Well, after becoming a follower of Jesus, I no longer opened the Bible like I maybe did when I was younger just because I had to. I actually wanted to. I had this desire kind of happen in me that I want to read Scripture. I want to know what God has to say about who He is and who I am and understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I didn't understand what was going on fully back then. But, you know, as I read John, it was just as Jesus said. And I will give you the Holy Spirit and He will lead you into all truth. I was... I discovered that the things in the Bible were true and I was discovering who I was. And today I'd like for us to spend a little time looking at a few scriptures that personify the, the identity that God has given those of us who believe the gospel and have been born again and received the Holy Spirit. The first one in your notes is let me begin by reminding you that God chose you. God chose you to be one of his people Simply because he loves you. That may be a hard thing to believe, but it's true that God chose you to be one of his people simply because he loves you. Think of Abraham. Go back and read Genesis and the story of Abraham. This man is living in Ur. He's probably a moon worshiper or a moon god worshiper. He's just there. And then all of a sudden it says, God shows up to Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham. I want to bless you. I want to make you my people. I want to bless you with descendants. I want to bless you with land. I want to make you a great nation that you would bless the world. Abraham wasn't pursuing God. Abraham was just there. And God showed up and said, I want to give you a new identity. I don't, I don't want you to be one of the people of Earth anymore. I want you to be my people. And you know the story. He goes on and, and God eventually provides him the promised son, Isaac. Then Jacob, and then on and on. You have the, the children of Israel ending up in Egypt. And God brings them out with a mighty hand. And into the desert where they receive this, this huge number of people. It started with a person, and his, uh, Abram and his wife, Abraham and Sarah. And eventually this great nation, not great, but small, I guess, in the eyes of the other nations, it's formed and it's coming out. And how are we going to live now? We've been slaves and God in his grace 
provides the Ten Commandments or the law of God. Some people like to look at that way. That can be very negative law. I don't want to, you know, you hear law, I want to rebel. I want to break the speed limit, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but think of it more like a constitution of love. It's a constitution on encouraging them to love God and love one another is what's in the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses is, is at nearing the end of his race on the earth and, and he wants to remind the people of Israel, what their identity is. And he says this to them in Deuteronomy verse seven, or chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations. For you were the smallest of all nations. Listen to this. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. He gave them an identity simply because he loved them. That you are my people. That's part of their identity. Over time, we know the story. They, they end up succeeding at times, keeping the law and doing the things God wanted. Other times it says everybody was doing right with what was in their own eyes and they were really failing. But God wasn't done with having a people on the earth. And he, and he makes a promise in a prophecy through Jeremiah. He says in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instruction deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their guide. And they will be my people. In the New Testament or in the Gospels, Jesus says something about this new covenant. If you, you can kind of read it and not think about it. When Jesus says he's, he's, he's instituting the, or ordaining the Lord's Supper. And he says to his disciples, this is the new covenant of my blood." Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. The, he mentions the new covenant. What is he talking about? Because you can read that and go like, what new covenant is he referring to? Well, he's referring to the covenant that, he was, that there was going to be a new covenant that was going to happen. It was going to be the covenant that he mentions here in Jeremiah where the Lord is going to put the instructions deep in their hearts. It's kind of a kind of code word for the Holy Spirit coming. It's really what it is. And in Romans 11, 17, the Apostle Paul talks about how we as Gentiles got into this. Because this is, you know, the verbiage in here and the words used is talking about Israelites or descendants of Abraham. But in Romans eleven seventeen, the Apostle Paul begins to explain this fulfillment of Jeremiah happening. Or it's happened. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, us... We who are not descendants of Abraham, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. 
In other words, those of us who have been born again, who have been brought into the kingdom of God, we have become citizens of heaven is what Paul would call it in his letter to the Philippians. That's your identity. You're not a people of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a people of a kingdom that's outside this world. And Jesus even said that at his, when he's about to be crucified. My kingdom's not of this world. And that's who we are. We're a people of a different kingdom. And it wasn't because of anything you did. Just like the Israelites, just like Abraham. Simply because God loves you. He chose you. That's amazing to think about. But it's even more amazing when you continue to think about what Scripture says about us. It's that God also wants you to know that, and this is the second thing in your notes, that you are a beloved child of God who has an eternal inheritance. You are a beloved child of God who has an eternal inheritance. Jesus' life and ministry, it's very interesting to kind of look at it and reflect on it. And whenever some things happen to him, I, I, I try to take note. And one of those times was at his baptism. Do you remember what happens? There's very few times that God would speak verbally that we read in the Bible to people in the New Testament especially. But at his baptism, right when he's about to transition out of being the carpenter, known as the carpenter's son in Nazareth, to being and living out who he really is, his full identity, and doing the work that God had called him and sent him to the earth to, to finish through his life on the earth. He speaks to him. Out of heaven, he says, You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's an amazing time, but that's not the only time God does it because Jesus is just like us. He needs to be reinforced that you get your identity from the Father. And at the Mount of Transfiguration, just before he's heading to Jerusalem to, die, to suffer and die a horrific death, the Father once again shows up and he tells Jesus and the disciples with him, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He wants him to know he is a beloved son. And, and it's, it's amazing to think about that, that God would show up and, and say those things to Jesus but God says those things to us. If you're in Christ, as 1 John 3 says, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what you are. You are a child of God. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. They don't know your true identity because they don't know the Father. But God knows you and He knows your identity. You're His child. In Paul, uh, or in Romans 8, 14 through 21, Paul provides some more insight regarding us being children of God and our identity as children. But I won't read the whole thing. I just want to read verses 14 through 17 this morning for the sake of time. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you. As his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. 
But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Just because you're a child of God, please don't ever let anyone tell you if you come to follow Jesus, your life's going to be perfect because you're going to have an identity crisis real quick when it's not. When it, people tell you if you follow Jesus, your life's just going to get better. I don't read that. Jesus himself says, if you are my disciples, you'll be persecuted. If we follow one who suffered and died for the sake of us and to fulfill, the God, fulfill God's will, we too will be suffering servants if we follow the suffering servant. The truth of our identity that Jesus and, and the disciples really want to drive home deep into our hearts, into our minds that God has adopted you. Your identity isn't wrapped up in your family or who you are or anything else. Your identity is that God has made you one of his sons and daughters. And it's a miraculous thing that he has done. And he's given you a family. Your sons and daughters with other sons and daughters. And, and we're here, we should be a place where people are known. Where you can be who God has called you to be. Obviously, we all have our quirks and different things about us that are, aren't great. And sometimes we sin. But this is a place where you can be who you are and be known because God loves you exactly where you are at. If he's made you one of his children, he loves you. And he wants you to, be, to know that. And he wants you to be encouraged to continue to live out who you are as a son and daughter of God. Just as Jesus did. Lastly, I want to point out that you've been set apart to be a holy priest. That puts God's kingdom on display. You've been set apart to be a holy priest. Now I know this is a hard one to wrap my I'm a priest, really? I'm a, like, what does that even mean? That puts God's kingdom on display. It's not something I came up with. It came out of scripture. So in Exodus 19, 3, 6, God is speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai. And he says to him, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce to the descendants of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of, he doesn't call them a, a kingdom of just people, not just a kingdom of children of God, but a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. This is a calling. This is being set apart, a holy kingdom of priests. And the reason I'm convinced this wasn't just true of Israel, it's true of us, is because of the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5 and verse 9. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, that is Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now being a priest under the new covenant Obviously, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore, right? As I shared earlier, 
you, you got to understand what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He got rid of the old sacrificial system, which is ultimately, think of animal sacrifices as a credit card swipe. It really isn't paid for. It's, there's no money ex, you know, that pays the debt. Ultimately, someone's got to eventually pay the credit card you know, debt that was kind of rung up there, the credit, if you would. Then Jesus shows up, and he pays that debt. He's the one who comes in and pays the debt of our um, sins on the cross. He's the one who shed it. He's the one who did that for us. So we no longer are called to do this physical sacrifice stuff of killing animals and shedding blood of animals. No, Jesus has taken care of that. But we are called to make sacrifices. As it says, we are priests now of God who make spiritual sacrifices. And, and that's... That is what we get to put on display in this world. We get to put God's kingdom on display as his priests through our spiritual sacrifices. Through sharing the gospel, through words and deeds, through doing the good works that brings glory to God is what it says in the scriptures. That, that is our spiritual sacrifices that we offer up to God and, and how we serve God and others and how we are serving as priests in this world. Please hear this. It doesn't begin with a doing a religious act or anything like that. This life only begins when God gives it to you. It's something that Jesus wanted to drive home because you had a lot of people in Israel who were religious people who were going to synagogue, they were going to temple, they were making the sacrifices, but they didn't love God. They didn't love being his people. And that is something that God has to do. It's a miraculous, supernatural, wonderful work of God that he does, that he makes us born-again people, that he reconciles us to us, and he gives us the Holy Spirit who seals us for the day of redemption, as the Scripture says. And that's guaranteed. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit with the day of redemption. You can't take that away from yourself. It says that we are in the Father's hands and, no, and you can't be taken out. If God puts you there, you can't be removed. That's, that's the work of God. And he does that. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And we receive the Holy Spirit not just so we can be the people of God, but so that we can do the work of God in the world. So that we can join with God in what he's up to as his people, as his children, as his priests. He gives us the Holy Spirit not just to seal us but to empower us. Each one of you in this room has a spiritual gift. Every one of you have something that can help us love God better. Love each other better. And lead others to do the same. And God wants you to be using those spiritual gifts. And he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. You can't do it in and of yourselves. Please know I tried and that's why I got so angry at God when I was younger and I walked away from the church because I tried to be perfect. I tried to do the good things and I couldn't do them and it led to frustration. And it led to me walking away. But God doesn't want you to be frustrated. He wants you to be reconciled to God. He wants you to experience what Paul says that God doesn't give you a spirit of fear but a power, love, and self-control. The reality is, is there's billions of people in our world who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus. They have not been born again. They don't know how much God loves them and he wants them to be their people and their children and experience the goodness of God and serving God as his priest in the world. I currently have a, a neighbor. Um, he comes over from time to time thanks to uh, other neighbors who 
told him that I was there and I'm a pastor. And so he comes with his spiritual questions from time to time and his frustrations when he reads the Bible. And he really is struggling with his identity. He's an alcoholic and he just struggles so much. No matter how much I try to share the gospel with him, he just doesn't, he can't get it. He can't wrap his mind around the idea that God loves him and he can't do anything because he keeps, he always goes, well, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to do the right thing. I don't, I don't do these bad things and I don't do that and this. And I'm like, oh, please, no, it's not that. And I just try to try to try to help him understand how much God loves him. But I can't do it. And I've, I've learned to let that go. I'm there to be a messenger. And who believes and comes to faith is not your job. It's our job to share the message. It's our job to be light in a dark world. But it's up to God to do the new birth that only he can do, to give the new identity because there are people in our world who are struggling with our identity. They're so struggling. They're trying to find something that will help them feel like they fit in to some kind of group. And they're going after the wrong things because Satan's got them convinced this is going to give you what you're looking for. But we know the truth. And we're called to share that truth that God will give you an identity that's not temporary but lasts forever. So that is what we are called to do, to help people that are on their journey in this world, just as God has done that with us, who sent people to us to share the gospel. Whether it was you were raised in the church or someone came and shared wherever you were at. So for just a moment, I know a lot of us are frustrated with what's going on in our nation or what's going on in our world. We're constantly hearing about gender this or your identity that, or sexuality that. You can choose. You can just, whoever you want to be, you, you can be people getting tattooed and becoming animals is what they think. It's just a crazy t- thing. It's chaos in our world. And the thing is, is that they are struggling with their identity. They're longing for something more. But could you imagine if God began to use us to help those people struggling like my neighbor, to get the gospel to them where they could discover a new identity? Could you imagine if your schools and your workplaces and your government began to be filled with people who loved God? They were people of God. They were children of God. They were priests of God. They wanted to see God's kingdom put on display in every arena of our society. Could you imagine that for a moment? How good of a place would that be to live? Obviously, it's going to be in heaven. It's going to fully happen. But until then... We are called to help get the light to the world. And that's my prayer for us. That God would give us this desire. That God would give us a desire to live as his people. To live as his children. To be holy priests in this world. And if God is stirring your heart about this. If you're beginning to go. You know I, I don't know if I am born again. But I, I really feel like it's something I, I want to know more about. The pastors here and the elders will be available on the front row here at the end of the service in front of the church. And they would love to have a conversation. And if you don't come to them, go to a Christian you do know and have them help you understand what the gospel has to say about becoming a follower of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I just come before you just humbled by your goodness and your grace. Thank you for loving us, not because of what we can do for you, just simply because you love us. Thank you for calling us your beloved sons and daughters and reminding us that 
you have given us spiritual gifts to put your kingdom on display. Would you use us as we go out today? Would you use us as we go out into the world to bring you glory, to help our neighbors and our our coworkers and our friends and people in our society to, to discover the identity that you wanted them to have because the truth is, God, your desire is that none would perish but all would repent and become your people. We ask all these things in your name, Lord Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much. Let me give you a hug. Thank you. So our identity is found in Christ, and as Jamie said, that begins at, uh, at the, your spiritual birth, being born again. And did you know there's a special, uh, almost like a ceremony that we have as, as Christians when you are, after you're born again, there is a next step of faith uh, that we take, and it's called baptism. I don't know if you've heard of baptism before, some of you, if you're new to church. Uh, it's where someone goes into the water and they go under the water and they come out and people cheer because what a great declaration. And do you know that came from the Bible? That came from the Christian faith. In the Old Testament, they used to have this, uh, this watering hole called a mikvah. It's called a mikvah in Hebrew. And they would go into it and they would cleanse themselves to be able to go into the temple. And they saw that as, you don't want to be dirty going into the presence of God. You don't want to be unclean or bring unclean things in. And then in the New Testament, there was a new way of seeing that for the believers. And it started with John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He came preaching a message of repentance. He says, repent and be baptized. And what he invited the people to do was turn from your sin, come to God. And the only way you can really be clean is if you put your faith in Jesus. And so he would bring them to the waters, the Jordan River. It's this big commonplace. Thousands of people would be traveling through. He would, he would invite them and call out to them, and they would go in, and it was a picture of death. You would go under the water, and that was like being buried, and then you would come up out of the water, becoming new, like resurrection, coming back to life. And that's how Jesus was represented in the first century church, that we would be baptized saying, I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. It was a public declaration. And so I know we just had baptisms on Easter, and I'm sure you guys aren't bothered by it, but we have to have them again because we have more people wanting to get baptized. And so this morning, we have two baptisms. One we baptized this morning during the first service. Another one we're going to baptize in the second. And there's, so you're going to watch two videos. The first video is of the girl, Amy, that got baptized this morning. And the next video is the one that we're going to be baptizing. Uh, Pastor Kyle is going to baptize him. But I, I want to tell you, if you haven't been baptized yet, it doesn't save you or change you spiritually. It's an act of faith. But what a wonderful way to declare, I identify with Jesus. And if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, you say, I want to pray just like what Jamie shared. Uh, come up to the front. We're going to, pastors and elders are going to be up here. We would love to pray for you, pray with you. If you have any questions about that, and uh, we want you to know we love you. Jesus really did choose to die for you to make you part of his family. So watch these baptisms. My name is Amy Crane, and I've been coming to Grace off and on, maybe starting last year at SummerQuest. I didn't grow up with the best parents, well, parent. I just knew my mom, and I didn't know who my dad was. Um, she was addicted to drugs and alcohol, 
um, things happened, and me and my three brothers ended up in foster care. And some of it was family, and then some of it was just random foster homes. Those situations weren't good. When I was 16, I started following in my mom's footsteps, trying doing alcohol, trying drugs, going parties. Ended up getting raped and getting pregnant. So I gave up on everything. Gave up on God, gave up on everybody, everything. A girl from my school at the time came up to me and asked, would you like to go to church with me? Because she saw that I was a loner, just didn't want to talk to anybody or anything. And I was, and I was like, um, I'm in foster care. I don't know if I can do that, uh, but I'll ask. And she handed me a small little book, like this big. Um, she, I'm like, what is this? She's like, a Bible? I'm like, what the heck is a Bible? And she's like, just take it home and read it and tell me what you think. I'm like, okay. And um, so that night I sat down and I read Genesis first. And I was like, in the beginning. And I was like, wait, what? And then I read more and more and more. And I was like, wow. I'm like, this is, wow. (laughs) That's all I thought in my head was, wow. That morning when I woke up to get ready for school, I asked my foster parents, hey, can we go to church on Sunday? And the first thing that came out of their mouths was cursing and yelling and telling me, no, we don't believe in that stuff. We don't. Just get ready for school and go. I was like, okay. So I put the Bible down on my nightstand that I had and left it there. Never looked at it again. The next time I looked at it was when my father-in-law passed away about a year and a half ago. And the reason why I did that is because everybody that he loved was sitting around him, praising him, praying for him, worshiping with him, singing songs, praising the Lord. And he was so sick. Yet, he had the strength to worship with them, sing with them. And I was like, I want that. I want that in my life. I want the Lord to be my strength, to be my Savior. I want to be baptized because I want to show everybody how God put me through so much in my life, but he still showed me the way back to him. And to show everybody that I have faith in Jesus Christ and I want to be obedient to him. Hi, my name is Daytona Hoops and I've been at Grace my entire life. I was at Bible school with my friend and um, I was talking to a teacher and I accepted Jesus as my savior. And you know that you're a sinner? Mm-hmm. You know that you need Jesus to save you? Mm-hmm. Trusting him completely? Yep. Um, I want to be baptized so that I can show everybody that when I die, I can go live with Jesus forever.
Daytona. It's based on your testimony of faith in Jesus Christ that we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You guys have gotten nothing but the best today. Just wonderful worship, great, wonderful brother bringing us God's word, getting to hear wonderful testimonies, getting to hear just all the best, seeing baptisms. There's nothing better than that. You guys have just gotten a treat this morning, and I, and I, I think you know it. One of our values, this is a little book about grace. One of our values in, in this book is pursuing authentic community, and I feel like we've really celebrated that and experienced that to get today with our testimonies and with people sharing. And so I'm grateful for each one of you being here today, and uh, we are just going to go out. If, once again, if you want to come forward to pray with an elder or pastor, please come and do that. Grace, you are sent.